Welcome to the Mind of a Football Coach podcast. This will be episode five, and we're going to talk about summer and summer practice. Uh, this is a topic that uh, we are we are finishing right now. That we're winding down the end of end of summer, and uh, as we we go towards season, I think it's always important to reflect upon uh, what we have done in the summer and. And how we could we can make that better as as we we go through the years. Uh, this podcast will be on iTunes. It'll also be on Buzzsprout, and I will post uh, both of those links to my website, which is zachdavis24.blogspot.com. As always, if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to send me an email at mindofafootballcoach@gmail.com. You know, and, and as we get going here, I'm I'm sitting here in my, my classroom because, uh, as you probably heard in the last podcast, there was like a beep in the background. Our field house has a alarm that's beeping. Nothing's burning down, which is awesome, but uh, there's a little bit of noise in the background. So I'm up I'm up here in my uh, science classroom, which has a, a freshly waxed floor, and uh, our custodians do a great job here at Riverside. A little shout out to our custodians, and you know as as we get ready for the school year, um, you know, it's important that we, we reflect on summer because summer's coming again next year. No, no matter um, how much we want to put it off, uh, it's important that we uh, we look at uh, what we did this this summer. Uh, so when when I when I, wanna, when I talk about this, I'm going to reference an article I wrote on my my blog site, which is zachdavis24.blogspot.com, titled. Let's talk about summer. That was written on July 11th, and you know I, I've coached in a, a number of, of different different states. I've coached in Florida, coached in Georgia. Uh, now I'm in West by God, Virginia, which is an awesome awesome place. Uh, you know I get asked all the time by people, "What's it like to to coach in West Virginia as compared to other states uh, that?" You know, maybe have a little more football prowess. Florida and Georgia uh, produce a lot of Division One talent, and uh, I think the the coaching here in West Virginia is as good as anywhere I've been around. Especially in our conference, the MSAC, uh, the Mountain State Athletic Conference, is a really really tough conference with a lot of a lot of great coaches. Um, you know, when I first arrived here, I I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know. Uh, you know, coming from Georgia, what uh, what the type of you know type of athletes we'd have to prepare for, uh, what kind of coaching there was, and uh, I was definitely surprised by the quality because you know when you coach in, in states like like Florida and especially Georgia, um, you know I think Georgia has as good of, co- as good of coaches as anywhere uh, because they pay really well. Georgia. Um, has a really really good system for coaches. They pay coaches, you know, between fifty to sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety. Sometimes those coaches make up to a hundred thousand dollars a year, and that draws that draws good coaching talent because you get what you pay for. Uh, you know, I, in West Virginia, that we don't make nearly that amount of money, but football is very very important in this state, and the coaches treat it. As such, I mean, you look historically, there have been a lot of great coaches that have come from West Virginia. Look at Nick Saban, Rich Rodriguez, 
Jimbo Fisher, a great football minds. And we have great football minds all over this state. I've become friends with a bunch of guys from different areas of our, our great state. And, uh, you know, I, I am honored to be, um, to be in a state with guys that care about football. And we don't, we don't, you know, we don't get paid like other states do, like Ohio or Kentucky or Georgia. But, uh, you know, we, we make the best of what we have, uh, resources. Some have more, some have less, uh, in time. Uh, some of us, you know, I teach a couple weights classes and I do a science class. Some guys are in special ed classes, but, uh, you know, we all figure out the best way to help our program move forward. And, you know, one of those ways we do that is, is our summertime. And, you know, most coaches in the summer at least do something. Now, there are, are some coaches that they don't really do anything during the summer. Uh, I would go crazy because of boredom, and my wife would kick me out of the house if I didn't go and do workouts in the mornings. Uh, you know, but there are also guys that, you know, they, they maybe they do too much, uh, or maybe – I'm not saying they do. Uh, that's probably the wrong word to say. They do too much, but it's more than I would. Uh, I would like. I would do in a summer. I still want our kids to have time to themselves. Uh, I want them to to not feel like football is a job. We are in high school, and I think for all my listeners, it's important to understand that uh, we do not have scholarships to give our kids. Uh, we cannot sign them uh, to a contract. You know they are they are young men between the ages of fourteen to eighteen that enjoy football, enjoy their teammates, uh, love their coaches, and it's important that we uh, that we allow them to be kids. That we're not just um, making this a, a job. And the last thing I want to do in the summer is burn a player out, and they say, "Coach, I never." again, want to play football because it was horrible. We spent, you know, all day there. It's hot, obviously. Uh, but, you know, that we would we would help them to have some fire during the season. We don't just use that all up during uh, during the summertime. Now, on the opposite side of that, I think you have there's an amount of work that you have to get in during the summer to be successful uh, during the season. That meaning, you know, you need to lift, you need to run, uh, do some agilities, and then here in West Virginia, we've been able to use some flex days, and we have a three-week period in June where players can put on helmets and shoulder pads, and we can teach our scheme, teach fundamentals. Uh, obviously, you, know, you tweak that as you get into the season. You know what you work on during your three-week period or your flex days is your base defense, and you have adjustments uh, off of that. You because know, it's important that you always uh, you mold your scheme to your talent. And what I mean by that is uh, I've seen coaches come into to high schools and say, this is what we do, this is what we run, and this is how we are going to do it schematically. And you, you look at the coach and you go, well, hold on now. You, know, you want to run uh, a three-down defense with five linebackers. And, Coach, we don't have five linebacker bodies on on the roster. Uh, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to, to make a kid play in a spot that he doesn't really fit? You're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Or coaches that say, hey, I want to be a four-down defense and 
you have four legit defensive linemen, uh, you know, and somebody's going to get hurt and need a blow. But you have, maybe you have a lot of linebacker bodies. You should be a three-down type team. Or maybe, like we've been here the past couple of years, you know, we've had a bunch of defensive linemen and a bunch of skill kids. So what are we? What were we? We were a 50 front, and we played a lot of zero and cover one behind it because we were trying to, to hide linebackers that could run, but direct blocks were something they would struggle getting off of. Now, it's a little different. In year three, we have some more linebacker bodies. Our defensive linemen have uh, have developed. We we still have a large number of skill players, but we've developed uh, our program. So now we could be a little more multiple in how, um, excuse me, in what we use on defense. I, I always believe that if as a head coach, you should fit your offense and defense together. So for us, for example, we are 10 and 20 personnel. We're in the shotgun. We're running zone read. We're running power read. We're running speed option. We're running outside zone. You're running, we're running all the different passing concepts that most teams run. You're running smash, curl flat, verticals, post wheel, uh, stick, bubble, those types, those types of things. Uh, and we are, we are up-tempo on offense. Very, very simple uh, offense, but we want to run it fast. We use, we only use about three formations on offense. Uh, there are some some variables in those formations, but it's gen- it's usually um, a, a three formation offense, and then we we motion some out of it. And defense, we we want to reduce the game to technique and effort. We don't ask our kids to process a whole lot pre snap. Uh, want to get them aligned, and then we want them to read their keys and do their job. I always believe that a good defense uh, is centered on the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid, right? That and we only have issues on defense when we overcomplicate things. When, As a, excuse me, in my four years as a defensive coordinator, the only pro- times we had real issues. Now, sometimes if you beat, a guy got, you know, his eyes got lost or he just got ran over or outran, you know, that happens. But the only times that you give up, usually give up huge runs that, that break your momentum or huge passes or where you have a breakdown in assignment where a kid is not clear about what do I do on this play, on this call. And early in my career, flashback to 2011 when I was at Eagles View Academy in Jacksonville, Florida, um, you know, I, we were three three, and we were blitzing every blitzing everywhere, running a bunch of cover three, and it worked for us. We, you know, gave up less than two hundred yard two hundred yards a game, and uh, it was it was good stuff. But as I moved on to others to other schools I, that had maybe a little more talent, uh, but sometimes didn't have the the kids that were uh, students of the game of the game of football. My first year as a defensive coordinator at Eagles view, we had kids that were really, really football savvy and we had a bunch of checks and calls and things that we got into and it gave us a chance to be successful. And uh, we actually had the best season in school history and it still stands. We were nine and three without a home field, by the way, that was a, a unique situation to say the least. We practiced on a church softball field. So when, 
you know, I hear guys complain about facilities. I, I laugh because we, we used to have to drive to practice from the school in cars and then get out and practice on a church softball field that sometimes was not mowed and the grass was like up to your knees. But, um, you know, we got it done and our coaching staff and players did a, did a fan, fantastic job. Then as I, I moved to different, different spots for different reasons, you know, sometimes you have kids that are not uh, as football intelligent and uh, they're smart kids. Just, you know, they don't watch football. They're really good athletes. Uh, you know, you, you simplify the scheme. There was a year in 2014 where I didn't even signal a defense for a couple of games. We ran 4-4 under front, cover three, and we had some really good collegiate defensive linemen, ones at Auburn right now. A linebacker was a is now, or one of our linebackers, excuse me, went to Auburn. Another one went to Citadel, I believe. A corner was playing college football. So we had some really good talent. And the head coach at the place I was coaching, uh, Elka Eagles Landing Christian Academy, uh, you know, he wanted to be really simple. And uh, we bought into that. And, man, we played some really good defense. We gave up like 4.3 points per game in the regular season, which is incredible, right? That's, re- that's less than a, than a touchdown. And, they could. They have continued to have great success at Elka. They've they've won two state championships uh, since I left, and maybe it's because I left there winning. I don't know. One of one of my players at Riverside was giving me some crap, like, "Coach, they won it after you left." I was like, "Man, that's uh, that's really that's really nice of you to say that." <laughs> but um, you know, they that's that was our style back then. We we were very 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 simple. And then uh, here at, at Riverside, we've been a base 50 and gotten after people. And, uh, you know, now we're, we're dabbling in more four down. We're always trying to load the box plus one. I, I say all that just to beat home the point that you have to, as a head coach, you have to make sure your schemes uh, fit together. So we go fast on offense and we are simple on defense. Uh, we do more thinking on offense. We ask our guys to be, to process a little more on the offense, offensive side of the ball. Obviously, they have to hear the play call and the formation and then understand what they do. And uh, offense is more timing. And on defense, since a lot of our guys play both ways, we keep it very, very simple. So we don't spend a lot of time on calls or terminology or changing things up for our guys. We want them to be able to play really fast and try to make the offense one-dimensional. We're like – every good defense I've ever been around. We want to take away the run, and we want to limit and blitz the pass. Uh, in high school, if you can make somebody one-dimensional just throwing the football, then I believe you have a chance. Now, when you run into that team where, let's say, all they do is throw the football, then obviously you want to have enough in your scheme, your package, to take away them throwing it and make them run it if that is not their strength. But I would say the vast majority of high schools, their strength is running the football. And that's that's how we are. We want to run the football. We want to use option principles and put people in conflict, and that's what we want to do. Uh, so you, you just have to make sure, again, I, I know I'm beating a, a dead horse here, but make sure they, they match each other. So when you, you rep them during the summer, it's not like you're spending – four days and walk through because you have a hundred different calls that you have to make on defense and on offense. And remember that, you know, as high school coaches, these aren't college players. We didn't get to pick our guys. And 
you know, they're not going to sit in a meeting for two hours to install, and there's not a hundred people filming your practice for you. You know, we film practice, but we find a player that's injured or hurt, injured, or um, maybe they have some academic problems, or we find a manager. But you're you're just you're scrambling to get somebody to uh, to film your your practice. So let's make sure that we're using the field as a place of movement. One of the things that drives me nuts is sermons on the field. Sermons are for Sundays that <laughs> we should not be just lecturing players, a group of players or a player on the practice field. That is for after practice or before practice or in pre-practice. We have a pre-practice period where snappers and punters, kickers, holders are all doing their thing. And then now you can walk through and, and install. To me, the practice field is a place of action. It's not a place for a coach just to speak and to speak his mind and just ramble on uh, because now you're losing precious time because le- learning is doing. And we need to make sure our players are could sit, are, excuse me, are always moving at practice. They are consistently working on their craft. Let's not waste time on the practice field. So I'm going to start in, um, in the third paragraph here of my article. Let's talk about summer, which is written on July 11th, 2017. That is the one to, as a second post from the top on my, my webpage, which is zachdavis24.blogspot.com. And It'll take us through the nuts and bolts of what we did for our summer summer period. So we went to three different 707 tournaments. We threw some 707 with three different high schools during that four days a week. We would get in a lift and we would practice for an hour and a half because I believe the max time of practice should be is about two hours. I've worked for guys that we're going three hours, three and a half hours. Well, good gracious. Uh, you know, what are you getting out of that three, three and a half hours? Because I I can guarantee you it's not max effort. <laughs> you know, think about that. I'm a I'm a long distance runner now. I'm not a sprinter. You know, I was an old lineman back in the day. You know, max effort, big, strong, bench press, power clean, squat, sprint. And now I do, you know, slow and easy. Just let it let it simmer as I as I run with my headphones on, listening to a podcast. And yeah, I can run for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. But am, am I going at a at a hard, uh, consistent pace? No. It's the same thing with practice. If a player knows we're going to be out here for three and a half hours, they are not going to give you all they have. And we don't do two-a-days either. Uh, you know, we, we just, I don't believe in that. I don't think that you can ask a kid to give you everything uh, twice in a day. I, I, I want them to know when they come to practice, we're going to be here about two hours, the longest we go is about 2.30, 2.15, um, depending on how long conditioning takes. If we you know, we mess up some things during during practice or we can't get the conditioning at the level we want it, because um, we, we still do condition at the end of most of our practices. That's kind of an old school thing, and uh, I believe in it, and I have a coach that does a really good job with the conditioning. But, you know, our guys know we show up when it's time to practice. You know, at school, let's start – when school's in, that's 30 minutes after school's out or and before school gets in. It's generally around 3 o'clock. Um, and 
they know when I go on the practice field, I'm going as hard as I can for about two hours. And, you know, I think that helps our guys when they get in the games. They understand there's no time to loaf here. And I just, I believe in that. That's a, and that's a little bit of a new school philosophy. I know when I played, we went three hours or we'd be out there forever, but I always felt like, man, we're get, I'm not getting much out of this. We've been in team O for an hour and a half running against the scout team. Like what in the world? That kid across from me could not play dead in a cowboy movie, but that's who I'm blocking, right? Well, let's get in our practices here at Riverside, let's get in a lot of good on good work. So when we play against the scout team in our three-week period, right, uh, we put the pads on that we are getting good on good work, that it's important that, uh, you know, our guys learn to compete, and they know they're not going to be out there for forever. Uh, you know, times have changed, too. Our meetings are shorter. You know, we don't meet really any longer than, golly, 45 minutes. Whenever we watch film, we make cut-ups. You know, our, most kids are ADD and, uh, or some form of it, or they just their attention span is shorter. It's just the way our society is now. Uh, with social media and internet and smartphones. And I think as a coach, you have to adapt to that. As a coach, if you're always looking to go back to the good old days, then you're going to miss the present, right? You're not going to um, be able to capture your players' hearts and minds and motivate them and teach them how to play football. Because as a coach, our job is to get our guys to perform the best they can on Friday nights. And you know, we have to be able to use tactics that help them do that. Um, there was no live contact when we put on the shoulder pads, right? We use shoulder pads to help our players get in shape, right? There's a difference between aerobic shape, running during the summer, and football shape. Um, and then also to protect our players because we're, we're teaching our players in that summertime when we're allowed to put shoulder pads on. The second week, the three-week period, you're allowed to put shoulder pads on in West Virginia. And you know, we use that to teach our guys how to make contact. Right? How do we tackle? Keep the head out of it. There should be no head in the tackle. And we always talk about sky your eyes. Get your eyes up. We do not make a habit of pulling players out of practice when they mess up or berate them. But we let them know what is expected. But the one thing that we will pull a player out of practice for is poor tackling technique when we get into live periods, um, which is, I think, the second the second week of practice, which starts here uh, July 31st, and that second week we can we can be live because that's a safety concern. You know, I, I have a, a little girl, and you know, uh, I try to see all our, our players as as my you know as a kid, right? One of my kids, and uh, you want them to be safe. There was a young man last year that man we wouldn't let him play because man you can't keep your head up when you tackle, and we do this on a daily basis. Just you know, different, very simple. Tackling drills to teach you form, and this year uh, he's gotten a lot better, but it's still a work in progress, and that's something I think you have to continue just to help your players understand. Um, our players enjoyed being able to put on shoulder pads, and the coaches like to be able to teach technique without fear of an upper fear of an upper body injury. Even a lot of times, you know, when we go on Thursdays, we'll still wear, wear shells because. You know, the day before the game, we want our guys to be able to fit the ball carrier without fear of a collarbone, shoulder type of injury uh, when they when they fit up on the ball carrier. And I think it's important to be able to practice technique as many days as possible because you know a lot of times you get in the season and it's, we're scheming for different teams 
And sometimes we forget that it's always the fundamentals that win. And that's what we have to continue to practice as much as we can. Uh, at Riverside, moving down to the next paragraph, uh, we will then give the coaches and players off the week of July 4th so everyone can get, can get a break from football because we all need it. We all need that time off. We all need time to ourselves or we're not stressing about practice plans and uh, lifting schedules and let our coaches, excuse me, just get away uh, for for a little bit. And especially for, for this year's team, you know, our bye week is not until the last week of the season. So we have to uh, make sure we we use the time wisely so our players stay fresh during the season. And then we resume workouts the week after, and then we use our remaining three flex days on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before the season starts. And um, on on Monday, July 31st, which is, man, it's like right right here, uh, you know, and I love our, our schedule during the summer. I think we get all we can out of our guys that show up, you know, because summer is still voluntary. But like we tell our players, so is your playing time. That if you don't want to show up during the summer to develop your body, then you will be behind the other guys that have showed up. And even you sometimes you get this as a high school coach. There's a guy that's a really good player, and he's like, man, nobody on this team can beat me out, so I'm just not going to show up because I'll be the best guy when I show up the first day of practice. And that happens. And we've had young men approach us and, and tell us those types of things. And my response is always this. I say, well, do you want to be a playoff team? Do you want to be a championship football team? And if they're a good football player, of course they do. And I said, well, then your your scope, your vision needs to be a little wider than just the guys on Riverside's football team. You need to outwork the guys that are in our conference that are better players than you. That if you want to go to college, you're not only competing against the guys on Riverside's team or in West Virginia, but nationally. So we've had those conversations in my first couple of years here, and that's really helped us guys to understand, man, if I want to take this thing to the next level, I need to show up in the summer and train because I need to make my body as injury-proof and as efficient as possible because the whole, our whole mindset behind training is injury prevention. We want to make sure our guys uh, can move and bend and are strong and they can last through a season. Now, sometimes there are freak injuries, and that happens. But if you are weak, I can guarantee you that your rate of injury uh, will be higher. If you are stronger, your body is more resilient. And the human body is a great thing because it adapts to stress. Your tendons get tougher. Your muscles get bigger, right? Your cardiac endurance gets better if you train it. So, you know, that's one thing that we continually press upon our players is that you win games in October, November, hope, you know, hopefully December, one of these years in the off season. Um, you know, and I'm not saying we work harder than any program, right? But nobody will outwork us. I'm not saying you should go 12 hours a day working out and lock your kids in the field house, uh, but train hard, but also train smart. Um, you know, and I hope this this podcast or and and this blog post I wrote uh, starts a meaningful discussion about how we can best use our summer practice time. Because uh, I I think the collective conscience of coaches is always better than my individual individual thoughts. That the more we talk to other people in our profession, 
the better coaches we become. You know, I was emailing a coach this morning, uh, asking him for some some scheme uh, stuff like presentations or video because I'm always trying to learn. I always want to know, hey, how are the best of the best doing it? Um, I want to steal their ideas and use them for our good because most coaches you'll run into are very open about their program. There aren't there aren't secrets now. If there are, if a coach has secrets. Um, you know, I'm usually not friends with that coach. You know, I, I believe that, especially in this age of football, you know, with huddle and all the film access we can get, uh, there's not many secrets. And I don't believe you beat people with secrets. You beat people with execution. Now, do you sometimes need some deception in a scheme, a good game plan for that week? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. You should be able to hopefully disguise and some coverage or some movements. But at the end of the day, a good coach and team is going to figure out what you're doing during the game or they're going to figure figure you out or they should figure you out during the week of preparation and you're going to have to out-execute them. Um, and I just, I believe that with all my heart and I believe that, you know, when we talk to other coaches, you know, we should just be trying to steal from them, right? Gain good ideas. Because uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm pretty good friends with, with a lot of coaches around here and you know, we will use this this phrase that I'm not playing you. Our kids are playing each other. And, um, you know, it's what do my kids know and what can they execute is is what wins those football games. So never overload your kids with scheme. Let's let them go play fast and execute your scheme at a high, high level. Uh, my next podcast will be um, hopefully with another coach, uh, that I can, I'm planning planning on interviewing. He hasn't gotten back to me yet, uh, but I love doing those with other guys. And I'm sure you'd like to hear somebody else talk just besides me on this podcast. But thank you for listening, and God bless.